Muffin Talk brought to you by the initiative Titi Paunamu Study and Joy. Muffin Talk is a weekly radio program to which I invite guests to talk about their work and their passion for issues on community programs, social justice, Bible studies, or the Catholic Church. My interviews are done in the studio of Planet FM or via Zoom. Today I have invited Brother Kieran Fenn to a Zoom recording for our broadcast. Brother Kieran, a very warm welcome at Heidemite radio program. Here Brother Kieran Fenn is a Champagnat brother and Bible scholar, originally from Gisborne and has spent many years in adult education, teaching scripture in New Zealand and abroad. Our muffin talk today and our online session next Friday evening will be on the third session of The Gospel According to Mark, with the topic of this session, From Blindness to Blindness. Brother Kieran What chapters are de- are we dealing with in this session, and how do they fit in the overall Gospel of Mark? Well, the structure of Mark's Gospel runs from Galilee, the mission in Galilee for the first eight chapters, and at 8.22, going through to 10.32, we have the way of the Son of Man, from blindness to to blindness and the heart of Mark's gospel because when we finally reach chapter 10, verse 52, we have Jesus entering Jerusalem. So the whole structure of Mark is there. Galilee, then the heart of the gospel, the way of the Son of Man, and then the mission in Jerusalem. It's, a, it's like a journey. It is, and journey is a term that keeps coming in. The way, the road, all of those terms mean the same thing. And we talk about the way of the cross. Yeah, yeah. I'm always fascinated by the word journey because it's uh, it shows that it's not something very short because journey from Jou, from the day, means that it's a day trip and another day trip and another day trip. Oh, <laughs> We'll have to do Luke's gospel because it's journeying. Jesus is journeying before he's even born (laughs) when his mother's womb. I thought that you said the other day that uh, Luke's gospel was the gospel of meals. It's also the gospel of journey. You've got to to travel between places of eating. So there's a huge amount of journeying going on in Luke's gospel. So So, going back to Mark and... uh, So what, what, what happens in these chapters that you are going to mention especially? Well, it actually starts before we get to the chapter because we've got the story of the, um, the healing of the deaf-mute. And then we have that dreadful piece where Jesus gets so disgusted with his disciples because they're worrying about the one loaf and he, and, and he questions them. And then he says, having ears, can't you hear? Having eyes, can't you see? (laughs) And then, of course, we're all ready now for the first story of the blindness of the the blind man of Bethsaida. That wonderful story where Jesus has to have two goes to get it right. 
And the other Gospels drop that story. Can you tell that story, Brother Kieran, just to remind people, can you tell that story so yes. that we know? Oh, it's a wonderful story. It's where um, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, took him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes, remember, spittle, cut your finger, put it in your mouth, mild antiseptic. And he laid his hands upon him and he asked him, do you see anything? And he said, oh, I see people, but uh, they look like trees walking. And then again, Jesus laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home saying, don't even enter the village. The old messiah, the old secret, you know, (laughs) all through Mark. That thing, don't tell anybody. But that story is fascinating because it's not only the story of the two-part healing of the blind man showing this is a really difficult story, difficult job, you know, something really is behind the story and it's going to be the blindness of the disciples. And for the next two chapters, Jesus is going to be working so hard to get through to them about what type of Messiah he's going to be. And continually, three times, he puts the passion. What is going to happen? What type of Messiah he is going to be? And they misunderstand. The first time is at Caesarea Philippi. And Peter, I'm afraid this is not Matthew's gospel, Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, from chapter 1, verse 1. But he's got it wrong. And it's, you know, a, a rabbi called, a rabbi's disciples normally went to their rabbi to, to follow him. But Jesus called his disciples. And, of course, good disciples walk behind their rabbi. And when Jesus talks about the cross, Peter goes and stands in front of him gets out of line and says, not so, let not this not happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, because you are really out of line, man. And uh, Peter has to go back and be followed behind a cross-carrying Messiah. And so, 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 so Peter did not believe that the Messiah had to die on the cross. He would wanted to prevent it. Is that right? Well, they wanted their own power, their own glory. <laughs> and so we get that one. And then they continue on the journey. And then Jesus again speaks about the cross, about the, the, the death. The word cross is not mentioned because Jesus, I would have thought, would have in his historical lifetime thought he would die the death of a prophet and being stoned. I think that It was a very nasty surprise when everything worked out in Jerusalem. But so we've had strike one. Then what were you guys arguing about back on the road? And they get all shy because they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And then that's strike two. They wander on and then Jimmy and Johnny come sidling up and say, we've got something to ask. Would you do it for us? What is it? It's so shameful 
that Matthew has mummy come along and ask instead. They're one of first places in the kingdom. And the, when, when, the, when the reign of God comes, when the, the, the Messiah establishes the kingdom, that they are is the expectation. They want to be prime minister and minister of finance. And Jesus has to face this one. Now, I want to make it very clear that each time Jesus doesn't fail the failing disciples. He gets them together. He talks to the disciples with the crowds, and if any one of you would come after me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's number one with the Peter situation. Then the second time with the greatness one, he takes that little child, places a child in their midst and says, look, if anyone would be first, they must be last and the servant of all. And then the third one with Jimmy and Johnny on this question of power, he look, he says, look, do not be like the Gentiles. Whoever would be the greatest among you must be your servant. It shall not be so among you. Oh, that is something which is so powerful and a message that the church has to hear today because in defense of power, so many terrible things have happened. Even this morning, the McCarrick report came out with regard to the investigation in Rome into how a pedophile could possibly have got into such a high position. So, yes, that's, those are just some of the events and this blindness to blindness, Caesarea Philippi, and then the transfiguration comes in. Then we have the three passion predictions. We have the dispute about greatness. We have James and John, and then we have the rich young man come along, and he can't give up his power and his riches. And then we have a beautiful piece on the question of divorce. Now, how does that get in there? Well, I find it really interesting that marriage and so on now come in within the context of discipleship. It's time someone really brought out the theme of discipleship within the context of marriage. I know there was a very fine um, English scholar, Jack Dominion, who actually started to write on this line, but I haven't seen it picked up yet. Marriage as discipleship. And the question of divorce, of course, it's the absolute in Mark. By the time you get to Matthew, you have an exception clause. And by the time you get to Paul, you recognize other areas of, of exception. And God never, never wanted anybody to live out a living hell. But see, that's another interesting area. And finally, we at last get to Bartimaeus, the blind man of Jericho. And Bartimaeus is a beautiful story. He calls out to Jesus, the son of David. That's a messianic term. And then, of course, when his sight is restored, he follows Jesus on the way. And we say at the end of that Bartimaeus story, we say, oh, at last, a disciple who sees. And I'm afraid there's only the only line of encouragement that I get is that when in the resurrection... And the message from the empty tomb of Jesus is to the disciples to go to Galilee, 
where they can start again as they began the gospel. But all of a sudden, you have the line, you will see me there. So finally, after the resurrection, they must have come to see, even though in this part of Mark, they do not see. Brother Kilino, you mentioned now the word discipleship many times, even even regarding um, marriage. Can you uh, explain a little bit of what uh, Mark meant with disciple and discipleship? A discipleship is living by the values and the message of Jesus Christ. The self-giving that is involved, the fullness of humanity is to recognize the bond we have and the responsibility we have for one another. And I think it's fascinating that in this day, the pandemic is crying out to us to care for one another, to protect one another, that we ourselves can be the source of sickness for other people. Take the precautions, care for them. And we're going to face it again with the discovery of the vaccine. Who are we going to care for on the face of the earth enough to give them priority? These questions emerge out of the Gospels in such a powerful way. So what what positives can we draw out of these chapters and out of this specific gospel, the gospel according to Mark? Be patient with our own blindness. (laughs) Oh, dear. I think Mark Mark is a brilliant gospel for its understanding of humanity, even the understanding of Jesus himself. This gospel was too human for the other writers. The fact that they had to take out, they, they wouldn't tell the story of the blind man of Bethsaida because Jesus had to have two goes at it. They don't tell the the, um, story, some of the failure part of it. Um, Look how Peter's failure in Matthew. To be fair to Matthew and to Luke, they recognize that these are the men who were the ones. These are the men and the women, the apostles. Um, You mentioned the word disciples before. Apostles are sent ones. They're sent out. The only time in the Gospel of Mark that the word apostle is used is when they are sent out on mission. But apostello, the sent ones, Luke will use it because of the acts of the apostles coming up. They will be sent. Now, discipleship, disciple is the word that is used most often. Disciples are followers of the master. We are all disciples. Sometimes we are sent ones as well and are apostles. But we always remain disciples. So, yes, um, that's... And and then you said, we were talking about from blindness to blindness, and then you have, of course, we have the the meaning of blindness, uh, not as a physical blindness, but also, like what you say, you don't see and... Even in English, you have the expression see as understand. And then you have turn a blind eye to something. that you don't want to see it. You don't want to understand it. You don't want to know about it. How much yes. does that have to do with the blindness to blindness, this knowing and seeing? Well, that, yes, the 
it, the, the use of the term deaf, of deafness and blindness is quite fascinating because the Jewish leaders are deaf to the message of Jesus and the deafness stories are so strong with that particular aspect. But the blindness of the disciples is something, of course, that they share with what type of Messiah do you expect? And from the very beginning of the gospel, from the very prepare the way of the Lord, we've had the background of Isaiah. And we have Jesus himself seeing that he will be a Messiah in line with the second, the message of second Isaiah, the self-giving, the, the one who gave himself for the other people, for his own people, and it's very interesting that this identification with his own people and with Isaiah, um, the first time we hear, you are my beloved son, at the baptism, Jesus takes on what the rest of his people are doing. He joins them in this baptism of repentance, even though he has nothing to repent for. The fact that he's prepared to identify with humanity you are my beloved son, and we all hear that you are my beloved son and daughter. The second time, of course, um, I, I love the flow of Mark's gospel because Jesus moves from enormous popularity to being encircled by enemies, even as disciples start to lose hope. The beautiful parable of the sower and the seed fits in there. But then we move to the transfiguration and again we hear the voice this is my beloved son and at that point Jesus having gone through all this knowing he's got a job to do and he knows that he may not be able to do it because of the opposition and I believe that the transfiguration is the moment of enlightenment for Jesus that his mission will be brought in will succeed through that journeying of his life, the acknowledgement of his acceptance that his mission will be will succeed, but it will be through death. And the final time that we hear truly this was the Son of God, when it is completed by the self-giving, the complete self-giving through his passion and death. Did, did the disciples uh, in, in Mark uh, hope that they would still meet Jesus again in their lifetimes? Um, I think that what happens, of course, is this is the meaning of the Last Supper. In Mark's Gospel, we've, we have reflected before on the Last Supper itself is surrounded by misunderstanding. And the, the, the tragedy of the Last Supper in in the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus eats that supper alone in surrounded by misunderstanding. Even the very words, where will you have us go and prepare the room for you to eat the Passover? And that, that what will happen in time, of course, they will celebrate the Eucharist. And in the Eucharist, they will tell the stories of Jesus, of his miracles, of the Jesus in power, The Jesus in power will not be known now until after the resurrection. And it is in the celebration of the Eucharist 
that the risen Lord comes into our lives today. If only our eyes were opened to what is happening, and I believe that the responsibility of the liturgy is to make real the presence of the Lord in the Word, which is as real as the presence in the Eucharist. We come back to Irenaeus again and again, and the challenge is to, the challenge in our day, Pope Francis said, we can't remain the same after the epidemic. And I think that now is the time for serious recognition of how can the liturgy be empowered to make the living Lord present in word and Eucharist today. So there's an application. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about seeing and not being turning a blind eye, not ignoring. And uh, I think that's, that's you said earlier um, that the rabbis were deaf. But I think it's interesting that you say that you talk about deafness and blindness because when you mm. see the physical way, then you are not guilty because a deaf person is not guilty for not hearing. A blind person is not guilty for not seeing. But um, in the figurative way, if you see that, if you say seeing is understanding and and hearing is um, is listening, then it has an impact on us. And isn't it interesting <laughs> that that hearing is tied up with the liturgy of the word and seeing is tied up with the liturgy of the Eucharist? Wow, Mark has Mark is definitely a gospel for our day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely, and it's only it's the shortest gospel of all. Yes, and the most powerful, punchy. Right, <laughs> uh, only sixteen uh, sixteen chapters, and again, I I love the ending where the angel speaks to the women to take the message to the disciples and Peter, especially and Peter. But um, they say nothing because they were afraid. And the peculiar ending. But I've, I'm, I'm sure that Mark is again being particularly sneaky because he's throwing the question back at us. Will you say nothing because you're afraid? We need the fire of this gospel <laughs> and the other reason, as you mentioned in earlier interviews, the other reason why Mark is shorter is that there's no childhood of Jesus described. There's no birth and no childhood. It's all about the resurrection and about Jesus in his ministry. Well, I love the picture of Mark telling the stories. Because remember, this is the earlier stage of the gospel. And we're closer to the historical Jesus we're closer to the two, to the state, the first, the, to the stages where they told the story of the resurrection and of the passion in the context of the liturgy, just as we do. And then the second question was, what did he do to get himself crucified? And also, you mentioned that Mark was written approximately in the year 70. Yes. And when I look back 70, 70 years, that is a time when my grandparents would, tell, my, would live and would be able to tell me as a child what happened 70 years ago. So I yes. think that if you, if you think of Mark in this context, you can say many people who listen 
the gospel according to um, listen to the gospel according to Mark, they would have had relatives who had met Jesus or who had seen him or who had heard from them from neighbors. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I would say definitely you're talking about a third generation because no disciple or apostle would have known anything about the early years of Jesus. And even the church itself has not defined the historicity of the early, you know, early parts, the infancy narratives, right? They are theologies. And the, the clearest thing about the infancy narratives is that they draw their material from the adult life of Jesus. And you can see that, you know, from some of the clearest examples about um, the use of a term like um, the uh, king of the Jews that comes from the from the adult life of Jesus, from the cross. And it's read back into the infancy narratives, seeking the king of the Jews. And you, you can find again, when else did Jesus get lost for three days, short sorrowing, and he was doing the work of his father. Well, that sounds to me like the passion, death and resurrection. Yes. And then on the basis of that, we have the 12-year-old in the temple. So the adult is the father of the child. <laughs> so it's out of those that material that the infancy narratives are built. And the infancy narratives are theologies and indications and um, sort of foresight of what is going to happen further on. And, and also when you think, because you mentioned in, in previous sessions also that um, it's all about the meaning. What does it mean? So sometimes we, we shouldn't get stuck in a certain uh, detail that is maybe different in different Gospels, but it's about the meaning. So if the meaning for the Christians of Mark's time was that there is hope in the resurrection, then it doesn't matter how he was as a child for him, for his, for his people. It matters where, where it's going to go to, that there is hope in the persecution, that there's hope. Oh, yes. And I think to the point you're making, um, it, uh, it's interesting it's a, when we look at that, how Matthew tells the story of Caesarea Philippi and with Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. That affirmation of Peter, truly you are the son of God. Then the son of God, that's a realization that comes, as we saw in session one, that comes with the resurrection, the recognition of the divinity of Jesus. So whatever is there in Matthew is a realization that Peter comes to in a post-resurrection setting and is then taken back through the lens of the resurrection because every story, is, every gospel is written after the event. So, yes, acknowledging Peter, who died for the Jesus, had was dead by that time that it was written, and honouring the memory of the disciple of those apostles, then a, that can be affirmed, that Peter becomes the leader, he's the leader of the community, even in, in the gospel text, but it's a greater leadership that is recognized from a post-resurrection perspective. It's a lot better than Mark where he gets a boot in the, boot in the, the hindquarters for getting out of line and getting the message wrong and getting called a scandal 
getting called Get Behind Me Satan and so I on. Mean, you mean Peter, yes. <laughs> Peter, what a difference, isn't there, between the telling of the two stories? <laughs> well, we'll hear more about it on Friday. So thank you very much, Brother Kieran. And um, if, you'd, if you'd like to listen to Brother Kieran and the Gospel according to Mark and learn more about the Gospel according to Mark, which is the Gospel for the new church year starting the first Sunday of Advent, Please join us for our Zoom sessions, and they will take place on the four Fridays of November. We have already started this, these sessions, but it's not too late to, um, to come and join. All sessions are connected, but also standalone. So every Friday in November from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And then we also have a retreat day with Eamon Butler in November. His retreat day is on the topic, Who Am I? Reflecting on our identity in God. And this retreat day will be held also via Zoom on Saturday, the 28th of November, 10.30 to 4 p.m. So you don't have to leave your house and you can still have a wonderful reflective day. And uh, which would also lead you to Advent and to the Christmas season. So all events are on my website at www.studyjoy.nz. And uh, if you would like to have more information or register, you can go through the website or send an email straight to info at studyjoy.nz. Kia kaha, keep safe. And thank you so much, Brother Karen, for your for the interviews with you and what we are learning from you. Yeah, you